Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. And since this evening we are starting on Job chapter 9, we will start our study from the book of James, the fifth chapter, beginning in the seventh verse. Hear the word of our Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example, of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we turn to Job chapter 9, a little bit of context here. Job's second friend began to speak, Bildad. And Bildad has less patience than his friend Eliphaz the Temanite has. He's been sitting for seven days, not eating and drinking, while his friend Job eventually just cracks, curses the day that he, is, he was born, curses the day that he was conceived, and asks God why he, the watcher of men, would care so much about what men do when a blameless man like Job finds himself suffering. So his friend, losing his patience, says, how long are you going to do this? Listen, God does not mess up when it comes to justice. He does not pervert it. Bildad says God is righteous. And then he makes a little bit of a twist of logic and says, if this happened to you, it's because you did something bad. Automatically, that must be the case. While Eliphaz speaks of law and gospel, Bildad speaks purely of law to Job, and his advice is, seek mercy. Now, Job replies, and he replies almost viciously, but in such a way that Christians today should spend some time really chewing on what Job says. Hear the word of our Lord from Job chapter 9. Then Job answered and said, Truly, I know that it is so. But how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and succeeded. He who removes mountains, and they know it not. When he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble? Who commands the sun and it does not rise? Who seals up the stars? Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? 
who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest, multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe my life. It is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, who then is it? My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering. For I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him. For I am not so in myself. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Job's answer starts with, You're right. You're right, Bildad. About what? Well, about saying that God does not pervert justice. Job does not concede to Bildad this thesis that Job somehow dishonored God badly enough for him to suffer like this. But then again, part of that is because of its universality. He says in the second verse, Truly I know that it is so. You're right, Bildad. But how can a man be in the right before God? The game is fixed for us human beings. Haven't you figured that out? St. Paul will echo this sentiment in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Job might be blameless before God, but that does not mean that he is sinless. God knows the thoughts of your heart. He knows your concupiscence. He knows the sins that you have committed, the sins that you have omitted, sins of omission. He knows your sinful hearts and your sinful urges. There is no innocence before God. So if one wished to contend with him, Job says in verse 3, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. 
You know that you're guilty of something, and even if you forgot about it, even if you said you were sorry, surely mankind is hosed from the beginning. We often think of mankind's sinful state in moral terms, how we are all guilty offenders before God, and truly, we are. But have you ever considered that this is also a tragedy? From the moment of your conception, you did not choose to have a sinful nature foisted upon you. At no point during your mother's pregnancy with you did you say, I would really like to have a corrupted nature. I would really love to be a poor, miserable sinner. I would really like to always have to have this attitude of humility over everyone and everything else, seeing myself as a worm. None of us wanted this. If any of us could choose to be a morally perfect person who is never, ever guilty of anything, I hesitate to say it, but I think all of us would take that option. We would love to be sinless. And Job says, that's impossible. So God always wins. If he is your judge, you cannot answer him. And nor did you ever have the choice to say anything else. Besides, he says in verse 4, he is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not, and he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. God is wiser than us. He is smarter than us. He is stronger than us. In any contest between man and God, mankind always loses. If you were to try to outsmart God, as some souls seem to have thought that they can with their oral traditions... The answer is no, you cannot outsmart God. You cannot find some loophole in his holy law. It shall always accuse you. And besides, even if you say the time is, uh, for arguments is over and you want to fight against God, he is stronger than you. Always, our God is omnipotent. He always wins. This is something people have remarked upon every now and then. How unfair this feels. If you don't think that you deserve what is happening to you, God wins. It still happened to you. There is no undoing it. There is no answering back to God. Uh, for a pop culture reference, Lane Staley of the band Alice in Chains once sang out with the most poison sound in his voice, to God, it must be grand, always winning.
And in that whole song, he talks about how God is allowing or causing all these people to die. And no matter what, you cannot ever point your finger at him and say, how dare you? After all, he can remove the mountains. He's the one that makes the volcanoes explode. Who shakes the earth. He causes those earthquakes. Who commands the sun, it does not rise. Who seals up the stars. He is the one that causes the eclipses. Do you think you can stop God? Who alone stretched out the heavens. He is creator and trampled the waves of the sea. Who made these fantastic artworks in the sky. These constellations that Job refers to. And he says, in the midst of this, here I am and I have addressed God. And he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, verse 11, but I do not perceive him. This God is bigger than me. Is he even going to take the time to answer me? Ironic as it is, God will answer Job in chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. But the modern Christian needs to realize everything that God says to Job. The ninth chapter tells us Job already knows it. Everything that Elihu will say to Job, that echoes uh, what God will say before God says it, of how powerful God is and everything that he has done, who are you to judge God? Job has already said this. He already knows it. So who on earth does Job think he's kidding? He's not. He's not trying to kid anybody, is he? He knows what's going to happen. In verse 12, it says, Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, What are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. Now, a little bit of a scholarly note. What or who is Rahab? This is not a reference to Rahab, the harlot, the prostitute from the book of Joshua. Rather, this is a figure considered to be mythological. The Rahab the sea monster. Rahab the dragon, as Isaiah identifies her in Isaiah chapter 51. Rahab is this chaos beast that we don't really know that much about. All we know is that after Job's experience, it is evident from ancient Near Eastern mythology that other cultures, like Egypt, like Mesopotamia, the areas we get the Enuma Elish, where they name this creature Tiamat, they get an idea that this was some sort of Manichaean-style chaos goddess that was slain by a god of order. While that is not really the case, the Enuma Elish is false, they looked at what Job went through, and they probably heard some sort of tradition that we don't have all the details about some event where God had a creature he created and he saw fit to slay it. Do we know anything else about Rahab? Very, very little. We know that there were helpers of Rahab. Perhaps there were humans that began to worship this creature. Uh, hence, God 
killing this creature personally and in such a way that all of Rahab's helpers or worshipers bowed down to the true Lord and were terrified to the point of conversion. So even those who turn to a secondary, powerful figure, they have no help. Oh no, not even the mighty Rahab can fight against God. Verse 14, how then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. Ah, now we understand that Job feels like he is being accused. He's conceded some of Bildad's unfortunate ideas that if this bad stuff is happening to him, well, maybe somebody out there in heaven thinks that he sinned, but he knows that he's blameless. God agrees with him, by the way. Job is inspired scripture, and in the very first chapter, we cannot stop turning to it, interpreting scripture with scripture, the very first verse. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job knows that he's in the right here. But he also knows that if God is his accuser or his judge, he has no recourse. Can he really talk back to God? Verse 16, if I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. I'm, I'm a pipsqueak. I'm a nobody. What cause does God have to listen to me? Verse 17, for he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. If all this that has happened to Job is from God. Then what hope does Job have? This is the God that permitted his entire family, except for his cantankerous wife, to die. His servants to die, except for two or three escapees that told him the bad news. This is the same God that allowed his entire body to be filled with and covered with boils, who is he to think that God is going to be any kinder to him afterwards? And because Job has begun to accept a little bit of Bildad's presupposition that, oh, somebody's accusing you of bad. He doesn't agree with Bildad that he actually did anything bad, but he'll say somebody's accusing him. Because of that, he is seeing God's actions as unjust, as calamity. Yes, everybody listening to this can admit what happened to Job was terrible. It was extremely unpleasant. It was unspeakable suffering. But in Job's understanding of it, if he's being accused, then he was punished without a cause. How do we think he feels about God at this point? So he says, he will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. It's hard to honor the God that you think hates you. It is difficult to love the God that you believe permitted this grand injustice against you without a single reason. And before we say that Job is 
blaspheming when he says, multiplies my wounds without cause, what does God say to the devil? In Job chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Oh, it seems senseless. There is an ultimate purpose, but not an immediate purpose. Yes, this will be Bible one day for Christians to be wiser and edified through it. But in Job's situation, this is senseless, pointless suffering, at least in that moment. So he's right. But he says and continues... Verse 19, if it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe my life. He's saying, even though I know I didn't do anything to deserve this, God can say he found something that I did. He's wiser than me. He's smarter than me. He can stop my mouth and show me something somewhere that I did. But isn't that just grand that he remembers all of these things? But I'm going to hold fast to it. When we look at Job's situation, he is stuck between a rock and a hard place. If he follows his friends and begs for mercy from God, saying, Please forgive me of my sin, Job is bearing false witness against himself and losing his integrity. He would be sinning in this moment if he pretended to be as guilty as they assume he is. On the other hand, if he stands his ground and holds fast to his steadfastness, what's the result of that in a court case with God? Condemnation. God always wins. Now, God is not going, as we know, having read the book of Job, God is not going to enter into court to harm Job or to judge him or condemn him. He will give him quite the talking to with a great point of, who do you think you are? But Job, he's missing that point. He isn't thinking about God's mercy and compassion, as St. James will point out, that we will get to when we get to God's speech towards the end of Job. In the moment, he says, I am, well, damned if you do, damned if you don't. It is all one. Therefore, I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? Both the blameless and the wicked die on earth. Job is no fool. The writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, is a man that is widely hailed to be the wisest human being that isn't Jesus Christ. 
to ever have lived. Our Lord Jesus being the wisest man to ever live, but our Lord Christ is God. Among men born normally, among our fellow sinners, King Solomon was the wisest and he says the exact same thing in the book of Ecclesiastes. It doesn't matter if you're wise or a fool, you're going to die. It doesn't matter if you're righteous or wicked, you're going to die. Does this matter in eternity? Yes. Does this matter for your life in terms of how it generally goes with you? Yes, but ultimately you're still going to die and you are still going to suffer. But now Job gets very, very, very close to blasphemy. He mocks at the calamity of the innocent. God must be laughing at me. This is some sort of cosmic joke. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? He is not accusing God of wrong here. In all of this, Job did not sin with his mouth concerning God. We hear that twice in the book of Job in the first and second chapter. And when it says all of this throughout this whole ordeal, Job refuses to curse God and die. He still fears God, but he is grappling in tentatio, the process of tentatio where we wrestle with God as Jacob did. Only this is far before then. And he says, listen, he's got to be laughing at us. This, this isn't right. It's not justice. And if it's not justice, then the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. And before any of us call Job a blasphemer to say that the earth is given into the hand of the wicked, there's a track record of that happening in the Bible. And in accordance with our amillennial theology, it's probably going to get worse. God hands the children of Judah to the king of Babylon. And Habakkuk cries out, they're even worse than we are. And God says, hold on and be faithful. God says that in the latter days, people are going to depart from the faith for all sorts of terrible, stupid, heretical things. Guess what? Those people have power. What is our second enemy as Christians? It is the world. It is the devil, the world, and the flesh, and the world has massive, immense amount of power that our sovereign Lord has permitted them to have. Job faces this and says, you got to be kidding me. And I'm supposed to love this God that did this, that permitted this. It feels like he's mocking me by saying I have to remain steadfast in the face of it. Now Job does the right thing through this process of tentatio, through living the theology of the cross. Even though it's hard, and even though he's tempted to think some seriously negative thoughts about our Lord, he stays steadfast in the faith. My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, like little boats going quickly through the river, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I can't just pretend it's not happening. And besides, if I am accused of something, God's not going to let this go. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? 
If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit for my own clothes will abhor me. If I pretend that everything is okay, if I just try to heal up, let this go on, I'm still on the hook for something that I didn't do, well, yeah, God's going to come back. He is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. Job says in the 34th verse, let him take his rod away from me. I know everybody wants to hear about the 33rd verse. We will get to that in a moment. Job's steadfastness in the faith is demonstrated here in the 34th and 35th verse. He just says, let God leave me alone. Let not dread of him terrify me. For I, that I would not speak without fear of him. For I am not so in myself. I still fear God. I still worship him. I still know that he is God. I am having a hard time right now. Can I just get some time alone? Can God lay off for 10 minutes? And that's all he wants. A little bit of solitude. A little bit of reprieve from this judgment he seems to be undergoing at this time. Job is being steadfast, but he's also being human, and he is giving expression to things that we as Christians oftentimes are too pious to express. He's giving a voice to these feelings that we have when we are going through the worst times in our life. Only we as Christians, we see that 33rd verse, and we go, Job, there is an arbiter. He says there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Eventually, there is an arbiter. What does St. Paul say? There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There will be an arbiter. There will be a Messiah who wonderfully so is divine himself, who amazingly and mercifully does bridge the gap in the estrangement between God and man. This is something that's been planned since Eden. But Job, being likely the first book of the Bible ever written, starts planting that seed, that question, that solution into the minds of the hearers. I believe Job was a prophet, and as he spoke, he was reaching for that solution. There must be someone that can mediate between me and God's wrath. Even if Job gets it wrong in thinking that he is being accused of sin, that instinct towards the gospel that there has to be somebody to redeem me. Because this isn't fair. I never asked for this. I never asked to be that sinner. I never asked to have that. And even though I am blameless, I know that God would find something in me that doesn't please him and he would damn me. It's not fair. It's not right. There has to be somebody that can come along and fix this. And that's Job's heart. 
reaching for Christ. And next week, we're going to see if he starts reaching just a little bit more. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.